Welcome to Spotlight, a Bournemouth University series exploring the people and stories behind the research. On today's episode, we chat to Dr. John McElhaney and Dr. Elvira Bollat about digital addiction and how technology itself could be the answer. If you're anything like me, there's probably not a day or even an hour that goes by where you don't reach for your phone or check your social media. From notifications to likes and content that disappears after 24 hours, these platforms are designed to get you hooked and keep you coming back for more. But at what point does this behaviour become problematic, even addictive? And could technology be part of the solution as well as the source of the problem? That's what researchers at Bournemouth University are investigating. I spoke to John and Elvira to find out more. John and Elvira, thank you very much for joining me today. Could you start just by introducing yourselves and um, telling people what your involvement is with the Digital Addiction Project? I'm uh, John McElhaney. I'm an Associate Professor of Psychology um, at Bournemouth University. Uh, and I do research on social psychology and also how uh, that is uh, experienced online in terms of, of online behaviour and digital addiction. Hello, um, I'm Elvira Bolat. I'm Principal Academic in Marketing at Bournemouth University. And my area of um, interest is really a social media consumption or overall technology consumption and just trying to understand how um, consumers, um, how that affects consumers' decision-making, social media in general and different elements of it. So, John, maybe if we come to you first, then, what is digital addiction and what sort of telltale signs are there that somebody might be having issues with their um, digital media use? So digital addiction um, is a phrase that's come around to describe uh, compulsive or excessive use of, of, of technology. There is a big debate as to if it's really an addiction. Um, and then in psychology, there's quite strict criteria as to what qualifies as being an, an addiction. There's been a lot of debate around if digital addiction does qualify, but there's actually at the moment no uh, consensus. There's a lot of different uh, uh, opinions. I think though there is a recognition that it, that it can be a problem behaviour um, and anything that causes uh, harm to yourself or to someone else can qualify as being a psychological issue. Um, so within, within psychology we, we recognise it as being a, a potential problem and it really is uh, the idea of using something in a way that's causing impairment or disruption to, to your own life or to those around you. So what sort of things do you see people experience then if they're kind of in the grips of digital addiction? What sort of impact can it have on their lives? From the work we've done around um, problematic attachments to social media and um, the research that has been carried out in focus groups studying 18 participants, um, what was discovered is that most of the time there is anxiety and also our cravings um, for social media, you know, and the usage of its technology. But of course, that results from the fact that social media allows us to be connected to friends, to be connected to content, to social media influencers. So those are like um, two key things. And let's be frank, we all from time to time experience this problematic attachment, isn't it? Because um, in certain periods of time, we are inclined to use social media more or less. Um, so we can kind of enter those uh, psychological states where we feel maybe bored, and as a result of it, of course, we will um, feel like 
craving for social media content and interactions. I think one, one thing to add is that um, socialising is a very fundamental human behaviour. It's something we, we have evolved to do, uh, which makes it difficult. And this, this is why it can be hard to say if digital addiction really is an addiction, because you can survive without ever having to use drugs in your life. You can survive without nicotine, but you can't survive without social interaction. And that's why it, why it blurs the line between being something that we have to do, which is fundamental to, to who we are, to, to something that you know can become uh, excessive. And also, these platforms are businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, they're designed to keep you coming back for more. So what sort of techniques do they use to kind of get people engaged and get them hooked? So things like uh, notifications. So again, we are, we are very social creatures. If we see something which is ambiguous or unclear, something that we think relates to us in some way, uh, we really want to find out what it is. We're very sensitive to information about what are people saying about us or to us. So if you have a little notification on your phone, it's only a little tiny kind of you know number appearing, but that really is going to engage your attention straight away because you want to know, has someone just said something to me or about me? And also it's interesting how actually this whole socialization aspect and the fact that we like to interact with others, it's also embedded into this user experience design. Um, So if you think about social media uh, influencers, um, they are the ones who publish content and they are in many cases in control of that content. But if you look at what happen, what's happening right now with different functionalities available, isn't it, to social media influencers only, in a way, it's another way of integrating influencers in this funnel where um, users, like followers who follow the influencers, just become, um, I guess, enticed to go back and carry on, you know, in interacting with influencers, but at the same time using the technology of social media. And actually, Elvira, some of your um, work, aside from this, has looked at social media influencers themselves and the impact that um, the pressures of being on social media and sharing their lives can have on their mental health and well-being as well, hasn't Mm. it? In fact, I mean, social media influencing, it's an interesting phenomenon. It's an outcome, isn't a derivative of us being attached to social media. And as a result of it, you're kind of quite fascinated by the functionality, by ability to express yourself and be creative and find your voice in a way. So it's a fantastic opportunity for young people, for anyone to be creative and to interact, socialize with audiences across the world and really share your passion in form of content. However, of course, um, as um, different tools designed as part of social media interactions enter this space and kind of interact with our content, we as users become in many cases of followers in control of what social media influencers are posting. So this whole freedom of... um, expressing yourself becomes very limited, which can definitely, as, as, um, as you, my, my research has shown, um, have an impact on well-being of social media influencers. Um, so there is a lot of uh, statements that most micro-influencers um, confirm that they experience um, depression, 
and they experience lack of confidence as soon as they enter this, um, you know, micro-influencing state where they actually have a number of followers. They feel obliged to create content that will keep satisfying the followers as opposed to creators themselves. And so what your kind of digital addiction research is looking into is whether technology could actually be part of the answer as well as the problem. So how might that work? I think uh, one of the things about technology is it, by its nature, it can be very uh, interactive and very instantaneous. And in psychology, that's actually really unusual. So if someone um, has some kind of problem behaviour, you might have therapy or you might have some kind of mass media kind of education campaign. But most of the time... You're trying to change a behaviour after it's already happened. Uh, with technology, with smartphones, you can you can track someone's someone's behaviour. If they are behaving in, in a way which seems uh, like it's causing them harm, you can you can instantly have a message appear on their screen to try and prompt them to think about what we're doing or to suggest we do something else. And that that's that's a really a really powerful, but yeah, quite a, quite a rare opportunity. Or it has been in the past when we're kind of limited to doing things and and kind of. Uh, Kind of after it's happened, after the problems already already started. I suppose you need to make sure that doesn't become an annoyance for people, and they just want to switch it off and carry on doing what they were doing. So, what sort of things will you be doing to make sure that that uh, doesn't happen? I mean, what we see actually with our partner, for example, Space App. Um, and now they are integrating that actually it's a development that many other similar apps or around digital well-being are introducing is uh, family and friends settings where everyone kind of set the goals for each other as a group and then they start um, you know goals such as for example reduced um, timing of you know social media usage or um, reduce screen time in general, so really picking up your phone and looking at it. Um, uh, reduce messaging or other type of goals that kind of allows us to uh, minimize our, you know, I guess problematic attachment to mobile phones or social media. And I think this sort of family and group setting as John said, socializing is an important part, will enable people to be self-reflective but also reflecting on the group behavior and hopefully will um, enable everyone to strike to achieve the goals much better. Something else we, we can also do with technology is you can get very instant feedback from people when you send a message. So again, traditionally, uh, say you're, you're doing a behaviour change campaign, you might spend literally millions of pounds on some mass education campaign and people might hate it. And in psychology, there's something called reactance, and that's when you, you try and change someone's behaviour, they become annoyed at how you're trying to do that, and they actually worsen their behaviour. Um, the good thing about, about this area is that when you send a message, uh, you can ask people to rate that message, and they can give you instant feedback. We can do it by a star system, or text, or even audio. So you can find out really quickly what's not working, and you can try and tailor the campaign both to the population and even to the individual, so that you're just communicating with them in a way that they find useful. And uh, also a third thing to add, perhaps, is this whole um, sense of ownership, giving the control to the users and the fact that, you know, there is so many different um, strategies and content narratives available around how you can help yourself to or minimize your interaction with technology or problematic interaction with technology is available. And of course, users can just from time to time access that content um, as a result of dashboards that shows them how 
much they consume technology, they can ex- um, experience self-reflection and hopefully, you know, be informed and make different decisions based on the various pool of strategies available. So really being in control of their own uh, behavior. And are social media companies and software platforms on board with this? Do they have a kind of legal or ethical obligation to make sure that people are using their platforms responsibly and, and safely? It's um, something that um, social media companies, I think, are aware of. And you do get various uh, bits of software already. So various devices will have a kind of screen time thing where it will tell you every week what your kind of uh, uh, usage was. Um, it could be argued some of those of those uh, messages are quite basic, really. They're not really taking full advantage of, of what the technology could do. Whereas I think a sense of, of social responsibility at social media platforms, although it's not really enforced in any way, um, and certainly not in the ways which it would be in other industries. So in uh, the alcohol industry, for example, there's more kind of regulation around what companies have to do, what we shouldn't do. Uh, it might be that more regulation is needed at some point, but I suppose there's also the argument for giving social media companies time to try and develop their own strategies and to kind of take ownership of, of it. And we have to realise that despite us thinking that social media was, you know, with us for a while, um, the whole topic of digital addiction and digital well-being is really new. Um, but it, it's something that is developing and we're now realizing that um, well-being, digital well-being or employees' well-being is an important agenda for organizations. So um, they have this kind of corporate social responsibility agenda that involves understanding how um, they as technology providers and creators could use different design um, opportunities to really make us, uh, you know, consume in a very healthy manner. And what's great about this project and this research is that you're all coming at it from different perspectives. So John, you're a psychologist. Elvira, you've got a marketing background. You're also working with computing and software academics as well. So what do you think you gain from having that kind of interdisciplinary approach to this work? I think uh, it means that we, we have skills that complement uh, each other. Um, so I'm a psychologist, but I, I'm not a technologist. I, I can't do technology very well. Um, we can offer psychological insights to, to marketing and also to uh, computing. I think from a marketing perspective, uh, marketing are very good at actual real life useful things, whereas in psychology sometimes we can be a little bit too theoretical. Um, so it's been really useful having a kind of you know applied marketing perspective uh, on, on things for us. Actually, for a marketeer, um, it's an interesting, innovative type of initiative, which hopefully could change the discipline, the industry itself, uh, because it's quite often a marketing scene as a, a bad guy where, you know, actually the usage of technology is encouraged with different content and even social media influencers are that instrument of making us connected to social media more and more. So this sort of work together with computer scientists who actually, again, once again, look at computer design, user experience design from a different angle where these um, different technological systems, functionalities are not used to, or, you know, um, make us use technology more, but actually use it mindfully. And obviously looking into uh, working with psychologists who I see as good guys just creates this interesting fusion of um 
new perspectives, which hopefully, you know, will be able to um, reshape all practices around the world. Because even if you look at the business schools in general and organizations themselves, everyone talks about responsible business practices. And I think the only way to actually implement those or come up with ideas of what are those is by working with um, people from different disciplines. And also kind of beyond social media and digital devices, you're also looking at how um, online gambling, potentially problematic online gambling, can also be explored um, through use of technology as well. So how is that um, likely to work? So uh, online gambling is becoming um, quite an increasingly common thing. Um, we're starting to reach a point with some types of gambling. The online is more common than the kind of offline going into a, a betting shop. Um, in some ways, online gambling is almost a, a kind of a case study of online addiction or online behaviour. Um, it's obviously one where there's potential for a lot of harm. I mean, of course, you should stress the majority of online gamblers uh, do so responsibly and, and safely, but with, as with any behaviour, there's always a small number who um, will, will behave excessively. But as with the online addiction, there's a lot of potential you can you can use and actually tracking that behaviour. So you can see if someone is, is gambling online in, in a risky way and you can very quickly intervene with that, which again is actually really unusual for an addiction. It's very strange to be able to do that in a very kind of fast, powerful way and especially in a, a kind of uh, personalised way. So there's definitely some, some uh, similarities. I think there's some blurring of lines as well. So a lot, a lot of gambling adverts um, we see on television now, they don't really sell the gambling aspect. They sell the socialisation. Um, especially bingo type adverts, for example, is people making friends and having fun. And it's only really in the last second of the advert we actually mention bingo. So with this kind of blurring of lines between these two things, there's also things like uh, uh, loot boxes, which are becoming uh, quite a high pro- profile issue. So uh, some people would say, well, that is gambling. You're, you're paying money for a random outcome. That is by its definition gambling. Um, and there's been a discussion around how to kind of regulate that. And even some, some social media platforms, some of the games they use, um, again, suggestions that it's kind of crossing that line into, into uh, gambling. And the Eurogam technology that was designed really by Professor Ryan Ali and um, our extensive team or multidisciplinary team is um, kind of created on that basis that you can actually benefit uh, from having an access to real-time data and um, using different design mechanisms um, and also working with different stakeholders. It could be, for example, charities where perhaps counsellors, psychologists, isn't it, um, could be even financial institutions. Um, there could be an opportunity to create meaningful interventions um, toward the gambling behavior and still put the user at the heart of it. So making sure it's the user who gives, you know, the yes um, and authorization to the use of data uh, and make sure that it's user who reacts to different strategies, but um, seeing how data can be powerful to connect different stakeholders within the ecosystem in a way and benefit um, consumer, the gambler. So it's about making people more aware of their behavior and the decisions that they're making and enabling them to make an informed choice about whether or not it's something that they want to continue doing. So I suppose maybe kind of reaching people before it gets to a Mm. problematic stage, I suppose. Yeah, and some really interesting things you can do with uh, predictive analytics. So you can study um, the data that, that, uh, say, gambling operators or or social media platforms have, which is often very extensive and often goes back for several years. And you can look to see, well, what predicts when someone's about to start behaving in a, in a, a, a dangerous way? 
Uh, you can use things like machine learning and artificial intelligence, and you can identify who's likely to uh, yeah, escalate into having some kind of issue. And yeah, what you can then do is try and prevent that b- before it happens. And um, what made this a topic that you were interested in exploring? And has it made you a bit more mindful of your own social media mm-hmm. usage and habits as well? Uh, I think it initially came around um, through... Uh, I think as often the best academic collaborations, uh, psychology and computing just happened to be next to each other in the same building and we just got speaking to each other and they were interested in kind of, uh, kind of online technology and the harms and how to develop that. Also, I was coming from a, from a psychology background. I, I saw a lot of parallels between what they were talking about and existing psychology research into other addictions and other kind of harmful behaviours and it kind of came from there. Um, and the gambling kind of stemmed from that as, as, a, as a very kind of unique or specific example of, of, of a type of online addiction, also one that causes uh, quite a lot of harm. And it's something actually our students are quite interested in. I mean, when you are looking at research projects, social media usage, consumption is quite a common type of topic everyone wants to focus on. So even back in days, I remember one of my students decided to look at digital immersion. Um, and he did one uh, with... Um, um, Center for Excellence in Learning um, co-creation fund, but he, at the heart of his work was uh, Professor Ryan Alice's uh, work around digital addiction, and it was fascinating through student actually to learn what other academics at Bournemouth University are doing, and then slowly we developed collaboration, and we realized um, as we started working on it, it's much bigger thing, and of course we see now how, you know across the boards and industries, this becomes a, a topic or an agenda of government and companies. So we're just, in a way, trying to make some interesting research which has a real impact and um, hopefully, you know, catch the wave with it and make uh, changes to people's life. I mean, personally, for myself, um, of course, uh, there was this iOS screen time type of uh, dashboard. And actually, perhaps working more on this research, I started being mindful of my own social media consumption. Being a digital marketing um, educator, you kind of tend to go into this space where you're using technology and social media a lot. But yes, I started using screen time and reflecting on it more and trying to minimize and actually comparing on a weekly basis how I'm doing. I'm also um, setting up the switch off time um, for my phone. So in the evening, when I sleep or before I go to bed, because I used to check uh, social media just an hour before, I, I no longer use social media, which is something people might find it very interesting about me. But this particular collaboration made me um, reflect and learn. I think one of the things I, I learned from the online gambling research, um, as part of the project, we created fake accounts so, so we could try out gambling uh, online without spending actual any actual money. And I realised very quickly that I, I got quite addicted to it and also that I was very bad at it. So I've learned that I shouldn't do online gambling for real because I would lose a lot of money. That's a good learning. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what stage is the work at now then and what's next for the project? So we've got quite a lot of data already. Um, one of both uh, the good things and the slightly more challenging things about this space is it's really easy to get a lot of data 
which is fantastic because usually the problem is we're trying to get data and, and finding that difficult. It then means though there's a lot of work to do in analysing that data. Um, it's quite quite a, a big job. So we've got the data just now. We are writing up some papers. Um, we've been to various events. We've uh, been to uh, Westminster to talk to politicians about uh, results of research. We've been to various um, uh, technology companies and 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 gambling operators to try and start that process of, of disseminating to them what we found and how we can use that in kind of real applied ways to bring about change. Yes, we have a um, couple of funded projects by National uh, National Center for Responsible Gaming in US and we also have of course Gamble Aware who is now I think for the second time you know really um, supporting our projects in online gambling. Um, we also have in the immediate future ESRC Festival of Social Science and that particular event will be around hidden stories of gamblers um, because many people, if you will read research, have certain type of uh, misconceptions about who gamblers are and to be frank, in online world everyone can be a gambler so kind of revealing the stories hopefully will uh, make other people realize that any of us are potentially uh, could be a gambling customers um, and it's personal choice whether to gamble or not but ensuring that um, you know if there are apps such as Yerogam for example those are installed um, to help us to um, reflect on the data of our gambling behavior and kind of make sure we're not going into this problematic state. And so in the meantime, then, if people do think they have a problem or their use of digital devices is impacting on their health or well-being, what can they do to, to minimise that? Uh, for any concerns about gambling, uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of support out there. So we, we, there's a National Gambling Helpline. Uh, there are also websites uh, such as GambleAware and uh, GamCare. Uh, there's lots of advice there around how to kind of ch- change behaviour. Um, with digital addiction, I think is there's less resources. Um, there are some things aimed more at children. Um, but those tend to be... Uh, kind of directed at parents, so parents are concerned about child screen time. Um, so there are kind of various charities out there uh, to have advice. Uh, the Parliamentary Office of Science and Technology, uh, Post, also recently released a briefing note a few months ago, um, which kind of talks about online safety, and as part of that talks about um, online addiction, and they've got kind of various uh, bits of advice based on the most recent evidence. But overall, there's, there's less support, I think, available for, for uh, online addiction. And um, I guess using what's already part of your devices, you know, if you are Apple owner, iPhone owner, you have that screen time tech and kind of reflecting on that data will be nice. Sometimes I see myself discussing this with my friends, but of course there are different apps available which are much more interesting and I guess much more beneficial because they have more to offer. I mean, one of those is our partner space. Um, And in reality, actually, we offer extended version of the app if somebody decides to, uh, to, to participate in our research as well. And this is where we kind of source the data and space is amazing app because it again gives you that kind of control over your own behavior but gives you more data about your usage because it kind of looks into usage across different applications and different ways of using mobile phone texting voice etc understanding that actually is technology that can help you to manage and control your relationships with technology So next time you reach for your phone or start scrolling through social media, 
maybe take a moment to think twice and be mindful of what you're doing and why, at least until the BU software is available to help. Thanks for listening. Join us next time on Spotlight and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud to hear more from Bournemouth University.